You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow, as it assumes you have the necessary training, qualifications and experience to understand the concepts discussed as well as the technical language used. If you still decide to listen, please understand the information contained in this recording is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Any scenarios considered during this podcast are purely hypothetical and for illustrated purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. On 1 July this year, the 1.6 million transfer balance cap is due to be indexed. And while this may be good news for people about to retire, the indexation rules and how they work will introduce more complexity into an already complex system. I'm your host, Craig Day, and here to talk to me about this coming development is Tim Sanderson, one of my senior technical services managers in the First Tech team. G'day, Tim. Hi, Craig. Great to be here. Now, transfer balance cap indexation. Talk me through what's happening. Okay, so the transfer balance cap, which started at 1.6 million on 1 July 2017, um, gets indexed each year by CPI, but only increases in $100,000 increments. So for the last few years, there's been no indexation. Um, and then 1 July 2021 will be the first time we've gone over that $100,000 increment. And so the general transfer balance cap will increase to $1.7 million from 1 July. Okay, terrific. And what about, um, so that's good for people for, you know, thinking about retiring next year or something, they've got an extra $100,000. What about those people that have already retired in the past? Are they going to benefit, you know, are they going to be able to take you know, an extra $100,000 they've got sitting in accumulation phase and uh, and commence an additional retirement phase income stream for another $100,000? No, they're not. So um, that's the general transfer balance cap. But each person, once they start a retirement phase income stream, will have their own personal transfer balance cap. Um, and in the first year you do that, it starts off being equal to the general cap. But mm-hmm. um, thereafter, you have your own personal transfer balance cap which once indexation starts to occur, won't be won't be equal to the general cap. Okay, so I think this is uh, starting to bring in the complexity that I alluded to. So, all right, can you talk me through how this indexation works? Yeah, so it's it's proportional indexation um, is a way to describe it. So, the way it would work, where the general cap indexes or increases by $100,000, to work out a a person's proportional indexation that applies to their personal cap, um, we need to first work out their unused cap percentage. Um, Now, there's a couple of steps to doing that. The first thing we need to do is work out what is the highest transfer balance account value that the person has ever had in their transfer balance account in the past. So that's an important point. It's not just their current transfer balance account value but the highest that they've ever previously had. Okay, so what, what that says to me strategically-wise, I'm not going to be able to go and commute an amount out of my pension for some reason to give me a lower amount that's counted against the transfer balance cap 
I'm, I'm, if I've if I've maxed it at some point, it's it's always that highest balance I'm looking at. So if I go and commute a mount out of a pension, that makes no difference to my proportional indexation going forward. That's right, and that would be the reason right. for that, like taking the highest value to prevent someone commuting everything back to get the full one hundred thousand um, to get the full indexation. In other words, so highest value is used. Um, mm-hmm. What we then need to do is look at well, what's the earliest date that you had the highest value? And you divide that by what your personal transfer balance cap was on that day to get a percentage, and that gets rounded rounded down to the nearest whole number. And to then calculate the unused cap percentage, we just take 100% minus that percentage we've calculated, um, and that is our unused cap percentage. Um, To then calculate our amount of indexation that we get, it's just that. $100,000 $100,000 general transfer balance cap indexation multiplied by that unused percentage that we, we just worked out. Um, All right, so, cool. So, so nice and simple. So let me let me just pick you up before we go and uh, pick you up on a full couple of issues there that I, I heard you mention. First of all, when we're looking at um, the percentage of the transfer balance cap that we've used or my client has used, so you're talking about looking at the dates and looking at the transfer balance cap applies at that date. So for everyone that's going to get proportional indexation, that's always going to be 1.6 million at, at this time, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So the other thing I heard you say was that we figure out the proportion and then round down. Now, so for example, let's just say I've got someone that's used um, – I don't know what uh, 12 and a half 12.6% or well, let's say 88.8% of their uh, of their transfer balance cap so when I'm working out the percentage that they've used I round that 88.8% down to 88% which yes. would then give me an unused proportion of 12% is that right exactly yep okay so that's going to be quite important because that's actually could be almost a whole percent. You know, if I had 88.99999%, I round that back down to 88. That's that's correct. And the, probably the other key thing that means is that after any proportional indexation, the your personal transfer balance cap will always be in an increment of $1,000. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, that's important. So it means that we're not left with a, a transfer balance cap of, you know, $863,459.23 is what you're telling me. That's right, yep. Yeah, okay, that's quite important. So can you give me a really simple example? So let's just say we've got someone that's used up, well, 60% of their transfer balance cap. So how does that then flow through to figuring out how much of the $100,000 indexation they're entitled to? So if they've used 60%, we've rounded it down to 60%, let's say. Um, We take that off 100% and get 40% unused. Um, That means if the general cap goes up by 100,000, we get 40% or 40,000 of that. And our personal cap has increased to 1.64 million for the 2022 financial year. All right. So if I'm starting to think about what this all practically means... So if I'm someone that's a pre-retiree, so I haven't commenced any retirement phase income streams, then 
I'm entitled to 100% of that indexation because I haven't used any of my transfer balance cap, correct? That's right. So your, your cap starts at the general cap in the yep. year the first commence of retirement phasing. Okay. Yep. And it also means for that client that has already fully utilised their 1.6 million, so ex- imagine their transfer balance cap is exactly 1.6 million, yep. that means that their unused proportion is zero, so they would be entitled to 0% of the $100,000 indexation so therefore, they don't benefit at all from any indexation whatsoever. That's right. Their cap remains at 1.6. Okay. So actually, that's important, isn't it, really? Because you, th- you think about those clients that have already used up a lot of their transfer balance cap. Um, so they might have used up, you know, a lot of people just undershoot by a little bit to make sure that they don't go over. So you've got someone that's used well up and over 1.59 million um, they'll be entitled to proportional indexation, but it would be minute. You know, if we're talking that they're they're 02 percent off the the transfer balance cap of one point six, then you know they're, they're going to get a so, whole percentage. So yeah. they'll get one thousand dollars. Really, is what you're telling me? Exactly. Yeah. And there's just you're not going to go and start another pension for a thousand dollars. No, exactly. But what what it will mean is that because of this proportional indexation. So we talked about some people getting going to 1.7, some staying at 1.6. Yep. Everyone in between, there's actually going to be 101 possible personal transfer balance caps oh. next financial year. <laughs> nice and simple for everyone. Nice and simple. Yep. Yeah. So... I suppose, so if I just summarise that, so for people that haven't used any transfer balance cap, they're going to get full indexation. For people that have fully utilised it, they get essentially no indexation. For, so it's for all those people, probably the vast majority of retirees that have started a retirement phase income stream, um, but they're nowhere near 1.6, they're going to get this proportional indexation. Now, I suppose for me, the way to then think about that is, is if I've got a client that has retired and they've used all of their superannuation to commence a retirement phase income stream, and let's just say they started that for, let's say, $600,000, um, they're entitled to a bit of age pension probably, depending on what their spouse has got. Um, there's no more to throw into superannuation. There's no more that we can use to, to commence a retirement phase income stream. While they do get proportional indexation, it really doesn't matter to them whatsoever because whether they've got a bit more proportional indexation or a bit more transfer balance cap that they can utilise, they've got to have the money to utilise that. And if they're nowhere near 1.6, well, it really doesn't matter to those people. Where it matters, in my thinking, is if we do have someone, maybe they're going to make a downsizer contribution uh, and then they're going to use those downsizer proceeds to commence a new retirement phase income stream, maybe a, a second account-based pension. So for those people, I've got to think, does this push me up and over 1.6? Therefore, I've got to calculate what this new personal transfer balance cap is for that person. And so maybe I can get a bit more in. Maybe I've got an extra fifty, sixty thousand $60,000, depending on how much of the transfer balance cap I've used. So that those people will be out there, won't I imagine be a, a massive amount of people. 
Um, but the other one that I think is the real sleeper here that a lot of people might be looking at these rules going, you know, all of my clients have already fully utilised, you know, they've, they've jumped into the greatest extent possible to commence a retirement phase income stream. No, we need 1.6. There's going to be no extra contributions. They can't even contribute even if they had money to contribute. So, therefore, I don't have to worry about putting extra into a retirement phase income stream for them. So, I don't need to worry about this unless someone dies. Exactly. Because, yeah, when someone passes away, so if you've got a couple and this, one of the spouses passes away, let's just say they're both in retirement phase and they've got reversionary pensions to each other, don't forget that, that re- the value of that reversionary pension at the time of death will actually count towards the survivor's transfer balance cap 12 months down the line. So for those clients, we do need to be, and that will be common, okay, and now we're talking about two lots of retirement phase income streams or credits counting towards the one transfer balance cap, and therefore that extra proportional indexation could really come into play. So if I'm an advisor, I really need to be on top of these rules for those kinds of clients. That's right. And I think that goes for non-reversionary um, income streams as well. Yeah. A new death benefit pension, same issue. Yep. Okay. Now, obviously, you know, calculating a proportional uh, indexation and figuring out what a client's you know, it seems simple when you walk through it, but trying to do that for large numbers of people might be quite complicated. Um, the ATO, are they going to be reporting this? I hope they will be. They will. So the ATO has announced that uh, clients will be able to go in and see from 1 July 21 their um, personal transfer balance cap, which is being proportionally indexed where relevant from 1 July 21. Um, prior to that, there'll be other limited information, including what their highest uh, transfer balance account value is and also whether the proportional indexation will apply. So that really seems to be the key place that the clients will be able to go to, to get that information. Yeah. So, you know, normally when I do a presentation, I start talking about MyGov. I, I kind of crack this joke to say, you know, assuming your client has a MyGov account and they can remember the password. Um, I think almost, you know, if you're an advisor, uh, advising clients in retirement phase, you've almost got to insist that they have a MyGov account these days because um, trying to calculate all of this sort of stuff and identify the highest balance and make sure you get that proportional indexation correct is going to be critical. Agree. Yeah. Right. Now, um, the complexity doesn't stop there, well, well, does it? Because the transfer balance cap is not just used to limit the amount that we can throw into the tax-free retirement phase. We also use it to determine uh, a client's non-concessional cap uh, depending on their total super balance, don't we? That's right. So the rules at the moment are um, the standard non-concessional cap if your total super balance just prior to the start of the year is equal to or greater than that general transfer balance cap, then your non-concessional cap is nil for the year. But also those two thresholds, that are used to calculate the amount of bring forward rule you can access, so the 1.4 and 1.5 at the moment, um, mm-hmm. they're also kind of calculated partially with reference to that general cap. So, right. so what that will mean, um, just because of this general cap indexation, um, those 1.4, 1.5 and 1.6 will all increase by $100,000 um, to 1.5, 1.6 and 1.7. Okay, so that, that you've just made a really important point for people there. These new 
thresholds to determine what a, a client's non-concessional cap is for the following financial year, because remember, total super balance is, is measured on 30 June. It is based on the general transfer balance cap, right? So you might have a client that is entitled to proportional indexation, so it takes their personal transfer balance cap up to, let's say, 1.65. Let's say they've already started a pension for $800,000, so they get 50% of that indexation, taking their personal cap up to 1.65. If I've got a client with a total super balance of 1.675, so $25,000 over their uh, over their personal transfer balance cap, that doesn't prevent me from making a non-concessional contribution the next year because I'm looking at the general cap. I'm not looking at the personal cap. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So it's based on general cap. So the personal cap, which is being proportionally indexed, um, not relevant at all for the non-concessional cap purposes. Okay. Now, in terms of those 1.4 and the 1.5, now they're predicated on the value of the the non-concessional cap being the basic non-concessional cap, not under the Brimford rule, of $100,000, aren't they? That's right. Um, and so the other key um, factor in those two lower thresholds is what will the non-concessional cap be in 2021-22? Uh, if it remains at 100000 then they're the thresholds that we've talked about. If the non-concessional cap increases um, due to indexation that applies to the concessional cap, it would go to $110,000. And those two lower thresholds would then be $1.48 million and $1.59 million rather than $1.5 and $1.6. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so that's getting quite complicated. Um, and, okay, now let's throw some more complexity at it. What if I'm partway through a bring forward period. So my client triggered the bring forward rule this year. Okay, so the general rule with bring forward a uh, bring forward period is your cap and the thresholds that apply are determined based in year 1. So that would be determined based on the rules this year. So I, I could mm-hmm. if my total super balance just prior to the start of this year was less than 1.4 million. I could get a $300,000 three-year bring forward. Um, there's only one qualification to that, and that is that um, – so, so sorry, just to clarify that. So generally um, determined in year one and applies throughout the remainder of the bring forward period regardless of indexation that applies in year two or three. Uh, right, the yeah. only exception is if just prior to the start of year two or three of a bring forward period, your total super balance is equal to or greater than the general cap, your non-concessional cap for that year is instead nil. So, okay, all right. So a couple of, for me, a couple of really interesting things to pull out of that. First of all, so if I'm someone that, that my total super balance, so I'm partway through a, a bring forward period, so maybe last year, I went and triggered the bring forward rule. But because of that contribution and some positive investment returns, I've pushed myself up over 1.6. I actually can't contribute anything under the remaining bring forward period 
because I'm over this 1.6 million, so therefore my my non-concessional cap for the following year is going to be zero when it would otherwise be the residual of what I've got during the spring forward period, right? That's right. Right. So if if this general cap is now going to 1.7 and I'm sitting at 1.65, my ability to make further contributions during my bring forward period might get switched back on. Is that right? Exactly. So you might have year two of your bring forward period being this year. And because your total super balance is more than 1.6, it's reduced to nil. But let's say your total super balance remains under 1.7, then and year three of your bring forward is next year, you may have access to that remaining bring forward cap in next financial year. Right. Okay. Very very interesting. Um, the other thing I think I wanted to pull out there was, um, I suppose, a negative in a way, is that if I'm in my bring forward period and we do see indexation to the non-concessional cap, I don't get the benefit of that indexation because I'm I'm already in my bring forward period and that's been set at three hundred sorry three hundred thousand dollars. Um, let's say the, the non-concessional cap goes up to 110, um, I'm not going to then have a remaining cap under that bring forward period based on 330, am I? It's going to be $300,000 for the first year that I've triggered and then in the second year it's going to be 300000 less what I put in year one and for the final year it's going to be $300,000 less what I put in in year one and year two combined. That's right. So you've essentially missed out on that indexation, which is right. Has a so I suppose a thought process there is just, you know, identifying that if we do see this indexation and we're not sure about that, when do we know whether the non-concessional cap will be indexed? I think off the top of my head it's late February, early March normally. Right. So not too far away from when this podcast will be published, we'll have an indication of whether it's going to go to 110. Okay, so then then I'm thinking, you know, do do I... You know, the same old thing, I've got a client that's wanting to maximise their non-concessional contributions, they've got more than $200,000, do I do I do 100 and 300 or is the normal thinking? So once again there, would it be do I do 100 and then 330 so I get the benefit of delaying triggering until next year? Um, I suppose there too, for those people that have got maybe less than Less than three hundred thousand dollars. So let's say I've got someone looking to contribute two hundred and eighty. I might be tempted to throw all that in this year. Um, and if I do, then I've triggered the bring forward rule. Um, so my remaining cap throughout the the, the following two years is going to be twenty thousand dollars. However, if I wait until one July, I get the benefit of this three hundred and thirty. So. My remaining cap is going to be 50. I suppose that the thing to think about there is that is completely irrelevant if the client's not likely to have be able to make any further non-concessional contributions into the future. Um, but if they are, a strategy like that might be able to give them a little bit more. I suppose we've just got to think about by doing that, by delaying until 1 July, we've now extended them out another year when they, by contributing now, they could potentially you know, they, they finish up their bring forward period a year earlier. So we've got to balance all of that out and think what is the what is the combination of contributions that gives us um, the most effective result in terms of maximising our contributions and getting the most into superannuation as quickly as possible. Now, in terms of what else do we need to think about during these rules, because it's not just um, transfer balance cap, it's not just non-concessional contributions, there's 
two other things. What are they? Yeah, there's, there's probably three to call out. Firstly, um, co-contribution and spouse contribution tax offset. In order to be eligible, um, either the member in the case of co-contribution or the receiving spouses, total super balance just prior to the year has to be below the general transfer balance cap. So that's just going to mean 1.7, under 1.7 rather than under 1.6 to qualify. Um, and probably the other one to mention is for, for um, if you have clients who are receiving income from cap-defined benefit income streams, um, then there is a per financial year a limit on the amount of concessionally taxed income you can get from those. Um, that's currently 100000 but due to the indexation of the cap, that's going to increase to, I think, 106,250. Right. Okay. So actually, that's, and that's an important um, comment right at the end there, right? So all of these rules have, as I said right at the end during the intro, they've added a lot of complexity to an already complex system being this transfer balance cap rules and, and how it then interacts with non-concessional caps. Um, so we've got even more complexity starting to apply. Now, there has actually been a lot of noise about this. So if you've been reading the different um, financial services press type things like SMSF Advisor or um, IFA Magazine, all those sorts of stuff, you've been, you're starting to see a lot of comments that these rules are actually too complicated. Uh, it's going to be very difficult for members and advisors to get this right. And as a result, it's going to trigger a whole mass of reporting and then re-reporting when people get it wrong because they haven't properly calculated their uh, their proportional indexation, for example. Um, and it could also trigger a lot of refunded or excess non-concessional contributions because people are getting those, those caps and thresholds incorrect. Now, the interesting thing here is there has been a lot of industry association activity here because essentially the industry is saying that these rules are too complex and they need to be simplified. Now, there's a couple of different ways that this has been looked at at the moment. So if I look at the ASFA recommendation, so they put out their um, their federal budget submission just, I think, at the beginning of last week. Um, and what they said there is we should just simply stop or not index the transfer balance cap completely. So just set it at 1.6 and keep it at 1.6. And they said that would reduce a lot of the complexity. They were also talking about um, um, equity there, whereas I'm not so sure about equity in relation to that because I think the, the time value of money needs to be taken in, into account. So, for example, if we assumed um, an indexation rate of, let's say, 2%, someone retiring now gets the full value of that transfer balance cap in real terms of $1.6 million, whereas someone retiring in 15 years, i.e. me, <laughs> <laughs> to, to be totally self-obsessed, um, in that situation, the value of the transfer balance cap in real terms, if we don't index it, will obviously be eaten away by inflation. So in real terms, that 1.6 million drops down to 1.2 million in 15 years' time. So how is that equitable that someone retiring today gets a higher transfer balance cap in real terms? So... So the ASFA's recommendation would be just to cap it, and that, that is a con it makes things simpler, but it does introduce this um, this equity kind of issue. Um, some people are just saying index it for everyone, um, but I think that's unlikely because if you look at the retirement income review, 
One of the comments that that retirement income review made is that people with very large balances are disproportionately, sorry, disproportionately benefiting from the system because they're they're maximising the tax benefits they're getting out of the super system. And, and for many of those people, they simply don't need it. So if you um, simply go and index the transfer balance cap by $100,000 and allow someone that's sitting there, let's say, with a $1.6 million pension and, let's say, $2 million in accumulation phase, and you index it by $1.6 million, you're just allowing them to take an extra $100,000 worth of account-based pension that they're putting into the tax-free pension phase. So that's making it worse. It's not making it better. So I don't think Treasury is probably going to, or the government will go down that track. An interesting middle road, however, is the uh, is the SMSF Association. And what they've said is, yes, continue to index the transfer balance cap in, in increments of $100,000, but only up until the point someone actually commences a retirement phase income stream for the first time. So, for example, if I retired today and commenced a, you know, an account-based pension today with 100% of my retirement savings, that's it. What is the transfer balance cap or the general transfer balance cap that applies at that time? It's 1.6. Therefore, my transfer balance cap is 1.6 million forevermore. I'm not going to get any proportional indexation. So let's just say I started my pension for $800,000. Come 1 July, I'm not going to get the benefit of $50,000 worth of proportional indexation. My transfer balance cap is 1.6. So it addresses that complexity issue because we no longer have these proportional caps. Uh, or proportional indexation, and I think it also addresses that uh, that time or that equity issue around the time value of money. So um, whether we're likely to see any change, it'll be interesting. I, I would imagine it'll probably be announced in the federal budget. Um, but I think if I was a betting man, and I'm not generally, uh, if I was a betting man, I might have $2 on, uh, on the government changing these rules. So if you're sitting here listening going, oh, my God, this is already complex, um, uh, don't just. I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some simplification come through. Now, the other thing I will also say just before we sign off, Tim, I know I'm talking a lot here, um, is that if you have been <laughs> confused by all of these facts and figures being flown around, um, we have put together an article, obviously, on the transfer balance cap indexation rules that provides lots of examples about how all of these rule changes impact a client's proportional indexation, as well as how it flows through to things like the non-concessional cap, as well as co-contributions and uh, the spouse contribution rebate and uh, the defined benefit cap. Now, um, I think that's about it. Is there anything else we need to talk about, Tim? No, I think we've, we've pretty much covered it all. Terrific, terrific. All right, thanks for your time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please remember, these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, you need to remember that any scenarios considered during this podcast were for purely hypothetical and illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. And finally, you should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decision and once again, consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be reliable and accurate, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited or Commonwealth Bank Group of Companies accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.